and we're in Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. We're going to be looking at two very hard questions this morning. First one is, is, have you counted the cost of following Jesus? And the second is, is following Jesus your first priority? I want you to think deeply about these two questions. They are going to be raised in the text, and so we're going to discuss them. Um, but before we jump into the text, I want to tell you a story about a Pakistani woman. Um, please listen closely. Shaquille Bibi, she smiled to herself as she took a pan out of the oven yesterday, and she and her husband, she had attended a small Presbyterian church near her home. The sermon had been such an encouragement to her that she had decided to go to the Monday afternoon Bible study at her church, and she had made bread for it. While setting the bread on the counter, Shaquille, she took a deep breath, savoring the aroma of the hot loaf. If the bread tasted half as good as it smelled, then the others at the Bible study, they're going to certainly enjoy it too. As she wrapped the loaf in a clean cloth, she heard people shouting and repeated, and this repeating sound of wood hitting another object. She thought a little, little of it. She thought, hmm, it's probably the local boys. They're probably out using their bamboo rods, probably playing cricket or something outside because their games could get quite competitive. Well, she, stepping out of the front door, squinting because the sun was so bright, she looks around and she doesn't see the boys playing. It didn't look like a cricket game at all. As her eyes adjusted to the light, she realized that there was a group of men with guns and with clubs that were moving towards her church. Recognizing where the men were headed and what they were intending to do, she dropped her bread and she started sprinting towards the church. Someone had to warn the believers who were inside the church. When the group of men saw her running towards the church, they quickened their pace and began hurling insults at her, yelling at her. Hearing the commotion outside, some of the Christians inside the church, they stepped outside. And that was when the first gunshot was fired. And the cross on top of the church came crashing down. And in a panic, Shaquille, she realized that she would not make it inside the church before the mob reached her and she froze. For a brief second, the world around her also seemed to freeze. To her left, she saw looks of pure hatred on the faces of the men who were approaching her and approaching the church, with their weapons raised in malice. And then there were faces of Christians behind her, and they were painted with shock and horror. A blow to her shoulder brought her back to the present. She fell to the ground as a second bamboo club slammed into her back. Rolling over, she tried to put up her hands to shield her face. But the next blow hit her arm so hard that the cracking sound and measurable pain shooting up her arm didn't allow her to keep her hands in front of her face for much longer. Without even her hands to protect her face, she was at the mercy of the man who was standing over her. But no mercy was extended. No mercy was extended. Over and over, the man beat her head and beat her face. With each blow, the world became a little bit darker. Each time the bamboo hit her, the, became, the pain, it became greater. The taste of blood filled her mouth. Stars exploded before her eyes. And screams of the believers in the church 
echoed in the distance. Then in a moment, it all stopped. An hour later, a man knelt to the ground next to the body, but with gentle hands, he wrapped the lifeless form of his wife into a clean cloth and quietly carried her away with tears streaming down his face. Church, let me ask you the question. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you counted the potential cost of what it is to follow Jesus? And is following Jesus the first priority in your life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Jesus, we live in the most privileged country and in one of the most privileged counties in our country. We don't fully understand this level of religious persecution, yet the times are changing and your commands and your doctrines, they are being more and more disregarded and mocked. The cost of following you in this country Lord, it is on the rise. I pray that we would follow you. I pray that we would follow your scriptures. We would follow your doctrines. Your call of obedience over our lives at all times. No matter what the cost. Because Lord, you are worth everything that we have. Help us now to realize the cost of being one of your disciples. And may we respond in faith by following you wherever you call us and whatever you call us to do in your scriptures because you are worth it. Give us a desire to follow you and to follow your words. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, we love you and we need you. Amen. If you have your Bibles, pull those out. And if you have your bulletins, pull those out as well. You can follow along. We've got a sermon insert. So if you've got Bibles, pull those, or bulletins. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18, excuse me, Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. All right, let's read the scripture together in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first and go bury my father. And then Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, at a first glance, his words don't seem to make a whole lot of sense, do they? This is a passage where it tells us that there are two men and that they want to be on the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. But Jesus seems to challenge their desire to become disciples, right? Well, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus challenge these men who want to be disciples? What's, what's he doing here? It's a good question. It's a valid question. We're going to find out. Point one, have you counted the cost? 
I'm going to reread verses 18 through 20 because this is what we're going to look at. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The first thing that we see in verse 18 is that there is a great crowd that is following Jesus. question you might want to ask is, well, why is there a crowd in the first place? Why are they following Jesus? Well, for starters, Jesus had been preaching authoritatively to a large crowd. He was giving the Sermon of Mount. And we have that in chapters 5 through 7. As Jesus was preaching, he preached like no one else. Because the people were like, we've never heard somebody preach like this before. Because this man preached with great authority. And then Jesus goes and he backs up this authoritative preaching with miracles. Healing the man with leprosy. Healing the centurion's servant. Healing Peter's mother-in-law. And healing many others. And even casting out demons. Jesus' fame was spreading, and it was spreading for good reason. That's why there was a crowd following him. Why does Jesus give orders to leave the crowd and to cross the Sea of Galilee to leave them? Well, nobody knows the exact reason, but here's a couple possibilities of why Jesus said, let's leave and go to the other side. Maybe Jesus wanted a break from all the attention. Maybe Jesus wanted to get some R&R. Maybe Jesus wanted to keep the enthusiasm of the crowd in check from getting too rowdy. Maybe he wanted to test the zeal of his followers to see who was more faithful because crossing a sea would be much more difficult for people. So maybe he wanted to test the zeal of his followers to see who was truly faithful and who would cross. Or maybe Jesus simply just wanted to preach in another land because he was going into the land of Gad. We don't know exactly why, Jesus wanted to leave the crowd, and that's not exactly the point here. But the point in these three verses that we're looking at, 18 through 20, has to do with the scribe, the scribe's request, and then Jesus' response to the scribe. For those of you who are thinking, well, what is a scribe? We're talking about scribe, but what is a scribe? Well, a scribe was an expert in handling written documents. And in the ancient world, only a few people could read and write, and even fewer had access to books, especially scriptures. Scribes, they were literate men in an illiterate day and age. And the capabilities of these scribes, it also went beyond simply just reading and writing. They were also teachers, interpreters, and they would also give laws. If, you, if you've read the Gospels a little bit, you also know that these guys typically aren't big fans of Jesus. Typically, they um, trying to persecute him or do something bad to him. And that's typically what our scriptures record. But I will say, however, in this case, it was common practice in that day and age for there to be a master discipleship, master, excuse me, disciple relationship between the popular teachers of the day and their apprentices or scribes. So it was kind of common to have a master and then kind of an apprentice with a scribe. So it's not completely out of the ordinary when Matthew tells us that the scribe is saying, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Not out of the ordinary. But what I will say is, what is out of the ordinary, right, is Jesus' response to the scribe's request. What does Jesus say 
Take a look. He says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If I was a scribe, I would have been thinking, what is this guy talking about? Who is this one, Son of Man? Why are foxes, birds, nests, places the rest, why are they being mentioned? I just told him I wanted to be a disciple. And this is a response I get. A list of animals and places where they dwell. What's going on here? Well, before I provide the answers to these very reasonable questions, let me ask you, what do you think Jesus is doing? What do you think? What is Jesus' point? Why put an obstacle in front of this scribe who wants to follow him? You know, he might have had some great use. Remember, the teachers, the writers, they can read, they can interpret, they give laws. Might have been a useful guy to have Jesus have in his group, right? So why, why would he challenge him? Why would he do this? Well, Jesus, knowing the heart of this man, he was telling him that he was the Son of God. Jesus is telling the, the scribe, I am the Son of God, foretold of in the book of Daniel. That's where you see this quote, Son of Man, originally in the book of Daniel. And he's saying to the scribe, that I am fully God, yet willing to subject myself to a life of service, a life of rejection, a life of poverty, a life of humiliation, pain, and ultimately death. Jesus was asking the scribe, challenging him, have you counted the cost of following me? I am God in the flesh, yet my own people, they will reject me. The people in Galilee, they will cast me out. The people in Samaria, they will refuse me a place to sleep. I was born pretty much in a trough to feed animals. With no pomp and no parade. And I am yet fully divine. Even my Father will turn his face away from me in heaven. I will be mocked for my teaching, beaten for my beliefs, imprisoned for my proclamations. Scribe, do you know what you're really asking for? Do you know what worldly pleasures you will have to give up to follow me? Do you know what kind of life you're going to have to live to be my disciple, to be a true disciple? Do you know what a life of service really looks like to others? Where you think about them before yourself? You are requesting a life in which you will be rejected, ostracized, taken advantage of at some points, constantly serving others before yourself, possibly being humiliated for your beliefs, possibly being beaten, maybe imprisoned, maybe even killed. For my name's sake, he's saying to the scribe, have you counted the cost? Jesus is challenging the intent of this man's heart. And he's challenging the intent of this, of this request. Because typically a scribe's life was not really one of difficulty, but rather one of worldly ease and wealth. We live in Northern Virginia, most of us, but most of us live also in America. So I think we can identify with this. These were literate men in an illiterate day and age. They had a lot to lose, worldly-wise, right? A life of poverty, possibly. A life of social obscurity, possibly. Not being known. 
But this was, this was the norm for a disciple of Jesus. And you know what? It may be still. You say, okay, Jeff, this all sounds pretty great. Thank you for telling me about the scribe, right? What kind of lifestyle they're probably used to. Jesus' words about animals or where they go to rest. All right, cool. Got some of that. But what does that have to do with me now, today? I live in America. Most of us live in Loudoun County, Northern Virginia, 21st century. I'm not living in Galilee, Jerusalem, Samaria, or some of the other places that Jesus traveled through in the first century. So what can this possibly have to do with me? Well, my answer to your question, which is a good question, has everything to do with each of you. If you want a life of deep fulfillment, a life of purpose, a life of true joy, a life of wholeness, a life of greater inward peace, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must be ready to count the cost that can come. The cost and expect to make sacrifices to serve others, possibly to experience pain, possibly to suffer, possibly to be marginalized for what you believe, what you say, possibly to be mocked for some of the beliefs that you hold, possibly to be persecuted. Why? Because these are the marks of people who follow Jesus and who live by his scriptures and who take the time out of their busy schedules to serve others before themselves. Marks of those who are obedient to the commands of scripture. These are marks of believers who are actively fighting and wrestling with sin. These are marks of believers who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are actively proclaiming the gospel to strangers, to friends, to family. This is the potential cost of following Jesus. 1 Peter 4 verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. James 1 verses 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8-10 through 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, in our lives. 
Church, a hard question you have to ask yourself. If this is the cost of following Jesus, and I believe I am following Jesus, why have I not experienced much of these difficulties, much of these trials that the scriptures speak of? Or why is this feeling of being marginalized for my faith such a foreign concept to me? Why does being a Christian seem so easy right now? If you stop for a moment and take an honest look at your life, it's a good possibility you may not like the answer that you get. As Billy Graham once said, salvation is free. It is. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything that we have. Have you counted the cost of what it means to live out the gospel message, to be a true disciple of Jesus in every sphere of your life, not just on Sundays or holidays? That's the first challenging question that we face in this text. The next question that we are being asked is simply this. Is following Jesus your first priority? Please read with me in verses 21 through 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Tell you what, Jesus has got away with words, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Those who heard Jesus preach a sermon on the mount, they were right. This man does not speak like other people, like other teachers. He speaks with great authority like no one else. Here we have another disciple who's eager to follow Jesus and who seems to be making a reasonable request to honor his father and to bury him or to take care of him in his old age before he leaves and goes and follows Jesus. And what does Jesus respond with? Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Probably thinking, what is Jesus doing again? What is he doing here? Here is another nice fellow who is ready to do your service and your will, Lord, and let you are telling him let the dead bury their own dead? You may be thinking, I'm not the son of God, but this seems to be a little bit excessive. You know what? When I first read this passage, those are some of the thoughts that went through my head, honestly, as I was, was going through this. Um, but with more reading, a little more studying, and uh, a lot of conviction of the Holy Spirit, I came to the conclusion that, who am I? Who am I to question God, who is eternal, and who is holy and who is perfect. Who am I to question God as I read this? And you know what? Somebody who did is Job. Job questioned God. And if you read in Job 38, you're going to see it didn't go so well for Job when he questioned God. I'll let you guys look that up later. Um, but basically, if the God of the universe, if he says, follow me, the only response can be, yes, I will. I will follow you. I want you to understand that Jesus' answer is not insensitive to this man or his heart for his father. Jesus' answer is not insensitive to our responsibilities, to our families. Jesus is not saying, forget funerals, 
He's not saying forget taking care of your parents when they get older. Jesus is not alleviating his disciples of their responsibilities to their parents. He does. He upholds these things elsewhere. He does. What Jesus is doing, he's emphasizing that there is nothing in this life, even the death of a father, that takes priority over Jesus. There's nothing that takes priority over him. Think of this, friend. God in the flesh, standing before you, and he says, he says, follow me. There is no, but, you fill in the blank, something else. There is no, but. The response is, yes, I will follow you. I trust you. I know the cost. You are worth it. I will follow you. I will put you first. The Lord is simply stressing to his disciples that Jesus must be first in their lives. He must be first. Now, Jesus knows, though, obviously, he knows all things, that there are legitimate things that can come between us and following him. But he's telling you, beware of anything that comes before following me. Emphasis on the beware of anything that comes before following me. I will not be second to anything. I am Lord. Let the spiritually dead, let them take care of the physically dead. Son or daughter, if you are alive, if you have the spirit that I poured out, that I, that I died for, it, and it's been given to you, you come, you follow me. We have a message to tell. Follow me. I will be with you. This is hard for us to hear. But we need to hear it over. We need to hear it over. And guess what? We need to hear it over. And we need them to apply it. There is no priority that can come before Jesus, our relationship with him, or his commands in Scripture. That's, that's one that we typically forget, the commands in Scripture part. Yeah, we got to also listen to his words because they're good for us. They give us life. They give us true joy. We have to put those things first. And Matthew, verses, uh, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds life in the things of this world, he's going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for my name's sake, he will find it. He will have peace. He will have joy. He will have the love that follows him for eternity. Let me ask you, do you prioritize your faith around your life? Or are you willing to prioritize your life around your faith? Does your schedule come first? Or does following Jesus come first? Does your children's sports schedule, I know that one hurts, does that dictate how you serve and how much you serve in this church and beyond? Does your work schedule, does it dictate your times of prayer and scripture reading throughout the week? Does your lack of sleep dictate whether you come to Sunday school class 
on a regular basis or, or maybe not at all? Does your desire to have wealth and financial security, comfort, does that dictate how you tithe to the Lord? Maybe these, some of these are coming close to home, I don't know. Does your desire to feel comfortable socially, does that dictate who you tell the gospel to at work? Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's here in this church. Church, we have opportunities all around us in order to help us learn to prioritize our faith. I'm not saying this is easy. It really isn't. But there are opportunities where you can begin to practice prioritizing Jesus and your life and the life of your family. I'm simply just going to give you a, a couple couple ways you can do that. This is not an exhaustive list. Here's a few ways you can begin to prioritize your faith. Maybe it's tithing a full 10% of your income and being faithful to the Lord with that. Maybe it's coming this Sunday school, getting up an extra hour and learning about the Lord, which is usually a different book of the Bible or a different topic before. Maybe it means picking a ministry and getting involved and serving somewhere. Maybe it's waiting after church to go play or watch sporting events. Maybe it's taking moments through the day to pray for yourself, but also praying for others. Thinking about others before yourself, too. Maybe it's picking at least one day other than Sunday where you read your Bible, but you actually read it. Not just a quick skim. You read it. Maybe you ask a few questions of the text, too. You delve into it. Maybe one other day, at least, other than Sunday. Maybe it's picking one evening where instead of watching TV, you read a Christian book, or maybe you read your Bible to your children. Maybe it's asking the Lord to use the gifts that you have. If you don't know how to use them, it's asking the Lord, I am open. Give me opportunities to serve. Maybe it's simply just asking the Lord, use me. I want to be used. I'm not saying making Jesus your first priority. I'm not saying it's easy. Following him isn't. But it's worth it. It really is worth it. But you know, we also, we do need to start somewhere in our lives. And if you have started in some areas of your life, begin to ask the Lord to help you in other areas because nobody's perfect on this side of the grave. We always have room to grow and being molded into the image of Jesus. This is kind of what we use when we throw out this fancy theological term, sanctification. That's what this means. It means following Jesus. It means prioritizing Jesus. It means becoming more like Jesus, being molded into Jesus. This isn't easy. I'm not saying it is, but it's worth it. It really is. In Pakistan, there's an 18-year-old named Moham Shazad. He grew up making bricks for less than a dollar a day. And to free himself from near slavery, he began selling Christian literature to brick kiln workers. Late last September, as Mohan was riding his bike home from a day of selling literature, two men whose faces were covered with black scarves, they jumped out of a sugarcane field onto the road. Mohan abruptly stopped his bicycle to avoid a collision. One of the assailants pointed his pistol at Mohan, and the other wielded an axe. 
They demanded Mohan stop distributing Christian literature. When he refused, one of the attackers swung the axe, slicing into his flesh and severing his arm. The assailants fled as Mohan lay on the ground, bleeding, obviously in immense pain. Help arrived, and Mohan was taken to a nearby hospital. There was little the inexperienced and ill-equipped doctors could do to really reattach his arm, and in the following months, there was inadequate medical care, infection, difficult hospitalization. But then some help came from a Christian ministry to get the medical care that he really needed. Which is good news. There were people to do that and serve. And Mohan said, as he was recovering, he plans to resume his Christian literature distribution activities. And he will find a way to continue the work that God has called him to. He said, I will carry on with Jesus' work, even if death is the result. Building the Lord's kingdom is the mission of my life. Building the Lord's kingdom, not his own, is the mission of his life. Let me tell you, Jesus is worth the cost, whatever the cost may be in being a disciple. It is worth the cost. Because let me tell you, it is only in Jesus Christ that you will know true peace when there are storms in your lives, when there's difficulties and trials come. There is a peace that can only come from Jesus that will be with you. It's only through Jesus that you have a Lord and Savior that says, I will walk with you all the days of your life, and I will be with you. It is only in Jesus that you have a God who's come down to us, to meet us where we are, to die on the cross for all of the egregious sins that you've done, that you've thought about, that I've thought about. Maybe it's not even things that you've acted upon, but all of those things that are dirty, that are evil, that are malicious. He came, he died to take away those sins for you and me. And he knows this life's not going to be easy, but he says, follow me. And he's going to be with us. Jesus is worth the cost. He's absolutely worth whatever cost and maybe in your life. Because he's going to be with you. He will also provide you things that you could never imagine. The love, the joy, using your gifts in ways you could not have ever have imagined. A sense of freedom and release from certain sins only comes through Jesus. Jesus is really worth the cost. But I have to ask you, because the text asks you, have you counted the cost? Are you serious about this? Are you willing to pay the price? I'm telling you it's worth it. But are you, are you willing to pay it? Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he calls you? Putting him first. Putting his name first, not your own. Putting his kingdom first serving others before yourself. Are you willing to make Jesus your first priority in your life? I pray that we are. That goes for me too. Jesus is worth the cost. Let me tell you, church, he is. Jesus is good. Jesus is faithful. And he loves you. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, 
You are so good to us. Lord, you love us when we fail to follow you, when we struggle, Lord, to follow you, even sometimes struggle to want to follow you. You are still faithful to us. You are still good, holy, and true. Lord, we need you. Lord, we love you. Help us, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to prioritize you, to begin in some in some aspects, some way in our lives. Help us to do that. You are worth whatever the cost may be, making you first. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son to save us from ourselves, from our sin. Thank you that you walk beside us every trial, every difficulty. Thank you that you renew our spirits, Lord, when we are dry. Lord, we need you. Lord, we thank you for this challenge to us today because we do need to be challenged out of our complacency in this life. Lord, may your words, may they sink deep into our hearts and to our minds, and may they replay over and over this week and the weeks to come. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for your, good, your goodness and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.